So today I'll be talking about the fifth of these steps of liberative dependent arising, tranquility or calm. In the stories of the Buddhist life, um, he grew up immersed in sense pleasures and protected from the suffering of humanity. It was the sight of an old person, a sick person, and a dead person that shocked him as he realized that all living beings were fragile and subject to age, sickness, and death. But soon after he saw those uh, three uh, people, he saw a renunciant monk walking down the street, extremely calm and peaceful and radiant. He never encountered someone so peaceful. This gave him hope and inspiration that that there was a a way to relate to these human conditions of old age, sickness, and death a way that led to peace. This started him on his quest. The Buddha called these conditions of aging, sickness, and death Deva Dutta, or heavenly messengers, because it was only after he saw the reality of Dukkha, the reality of human suffering, did the hope for freedom from Dukkha arise. And in the same sense, when we're visited by dukkha, instead of turning from it or pushing it away, we can view it as our heavenly messenger. This process of liberative dependent arising mirrors the story. We can see how clinging causes suffering. And then when we connect with the possibility of being free of this clinging, it leads us to the confidence in a path that leads to peace. In our everyday life, uh, when we pay attention, we can see that whenever we let go of an attachment, we feel lighter, we have some peace, even if it lasts only a moment. Maybe if we let go of an idea that we're holding on too tightly, or a desire, or aversion. When we let go of it, it's such a relief. Uh, Being right is a common attachment that causes tremendous suffering in relationships. I remember many years ago, um, you know, uh, a teacher said to me, most of us would rather be right than be loved. And, um, And often that's the case. I learned that in myself, if I'm attached to being right in a conversation, I completely lose connection with the other person. I lose connection with my own heart. And when I finally let go of the clutching to being right, there's just this lightness of heart, and things begin to flow again. There's connection begins to flow again. It's a moment of peace when we let go of clinging And it brings a confidence and a gladness into our lives. And in this formal practice, in in this path, 
uh, the confidence and gladness leads to joy. And when the factor of joy is really strong and steady, after a while we might notice an excitation in the joy that no longer feels so compelling. So we naturally drop that excitation. It's a little bit like the excitement of... um, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember when you were a child, if you used to jump up and down on the bed. You know, me and my sister used to love to jump jump up and down on the bed, and it would be so joyous and so much fun. You know, but eventually, you know, we'd get tired. <laughs> get tired of all that joy, and we'd calm down. We'd still be happy, but we'd just be a lot calmer. So this begins the, to rouse the next factor, the tranquility or calm, which calms that excitation. And it feels even better than joy. It's uh, just more, more uh, pervasive, more, more uh, filling, or more emptying, however you want to uh, look at that. Um, the Pali word for tranquility is pasadi. Um, other words that uh, that are used are calm, ease, serenity, composure. So use the word that connects for you. Calm and tranquility can easily be present throughout our daily lives. You might appreciate when we go for a walk in nature or relaxing after a long day of work. But those are things that we notice quite readily. But we can have lots of moments of calm throughout a busy or even an agitated day that we often don't notice. Or during meditation, even when the mind is very, very busy, we can have some calm present, some quieting of the mind. As practice deepens and the mindfulness becomes more steady, the natural quieting of the mental activity and stability develops. Tranquility is what naturally happens when the five hindrances are quieted, when they're suspended, and the mind is no longer agitated. The calm can become stable and strong. Calm or tranquility is both something we do and a state of being. As a state of being, it's both the tranquility of the mind and of the body. If the body is tense, we can relax at least a little bit and bring some calm and relaxation to it. So that's something we do. We calm the body. If the mind is agitated and we become aware of it, we can relax it some. We're calming the mind, which is something we can do throughout our lives um, as well as during formal meditation. The mind naturally comes down if we don't feed it with stories, if we don't resist it, if we allow allow the mind to be as it is. If 
if we see and accept what's happening wholeheartedly, that naturally brings calm. That attitude of accepting what's in front of us at any given moment transforms any unwholesome state. Often it's enough just to remind ourselves with whatever's in front of us, it's okay. Some um, decades ago, our next-door neighbor had a big dog. His name was Barney. And um, they would go away for vacation and leave Barney in the backyard with access to food, but all alone. The dog would be so distressed that he would bark all night long. It was heartbreaking and, and hard to sleep through it. Sometimes we'd go talk to him across the fence, and he'd come down for a little while, but soon he'd start barking again. So this was a time before computers and such things, and uh, my husband, who tends to be very creative about solutions, um, he decided to make an endless loop recording in, on a tape recorder, they have these little tapes you could get that would just play the same thing over and over. And so he recorded um, in a very loving, soothing voice, It's okay, Barney. It's okay. It's okay, Barney. It's okay. And he set it by the fence and he let her play all night long. And the dog calmed down and didn't bark the rest of the night. So, so maybe when we're caught up in distress and resistance, we can remind ourselves, it's okay. It's okay. And whatever your name, your affectionate name for yourself might be. And we can relax and allow. <clears throat> As I mentioned, we've probably more than once probably, uh, the state of tranquility arises naturally from the state of joy or pity. As joy permeates her body and mind, the excitement of joy, the exuberance, gradually begins to settle, leading into a more peaceful, more refined state, into a profound sense of peace, of ease, of relief, but it doesn't lose the joy. I prefer to call it a joyful tranquility because it's even more satisfying than joy. It has the energy and aliveness of joy. I mean, not as much energy, but that, that, the, the aliveness, the, that sense of um, uh, deep alertness and connection. But the joy is balanced by deep relaxation of both the body and the mind. That perfect balance of tranquility and alertness. Nothing else is needed. We're not wanting anything. There's no agitation. And I mention that because sometimes um, 
we tend to think that tranquility is like the tranquility of a limp rag. Uh, you know, you relax in yoga and you melt into the floor. And, um, uh, you know, or just in general, you know, at the end of the day, you, you relax on the couch and, you know, and kind of become a little limp rag. But really the, the tranquility of a leisurely, pleasurable walk on the beach the warm sun on our skin, the wind gently blowing, hearing the sound of the surf. There's a gentle energy like we can walk forever without any effort. It's a calm with energy, with vibrancy, fully engaged in the moment. There's an image of the tranquility of the mind um, being the quality of a traveler walking in oppressive heat and finding cool shade, a soothing calm, profound stillness, a sense of peace, a sense of ease, of release. Nothing needs to be different. It's enough. Nothing is needed or wanted. And when the mind becomes so composed and tranquil and unruffled, we can see clearly and much more easily like a peaceful lake when all the waves have died down and the wind has died down and we can see really clearly. And even if a hindrance arises or a painful emotion, there can be a deep sense of ease as we observe it, allow it to rise and pass away, can be held in a field of calm and peace. As we develop this meditative tranquility in meditation, it not only becomes easier and easier to connect with it at other times, but it just naturally spreads into our daily lives. This calm can keep the mind balanced regardless of challenges. And we can connect with calm at any time, not just in formal practice. By taking a deep breath and relaxing the body, just one breath can encourage calm. We can practice tranquility any time by relaxing the body and mind. If there's rushing or agitation, Just one breath is enough to mindfully begin to relax the body. And even now, deep in this retreat, are there any body tensions you can let go of? Can you take a deep breath right now? Is there anything, anything to relax, to let go of? Any extra tension? 
It can take just one moment. The energy that moves us forward in this journey of liberative dependent arising comes from persistent mindfulness. When mindfulness becomes steady and the mind is deeply interested and engaged, the energy can build. Energy comes from the quality of investigation, from being interested in the moment. Energy follows our attention and our interest. The sustained interest in the moment, being mindfully engaged in the moment, leads to energy, which leads to joy. Without the interest of investigation, the energy can flag and the tranquility in the mind can go into dullness or sleepiness or complacency. So one of the things that as we get calmer and calmer and more and more tranquil, uh, some of you have have told me <laughs> that uh, you keep kind of getting a little bit on the sleepy side. So really looking at our experience with a little more detail, a little more uh, really seeing the differences between things, looking at the breath, looking more carefully. When um, on one retreat, um, I was having a lot of recurring dullness, you know, and being on the edge of sleepiness. And um, I was just tired of nodding off and jerking myself awake over and over and over again. It's what I call the mindfulness jerk. I don't know if uh, you've experienced that. Um, uh, so being tired of nodding off, I decided, okay, I'm going to just indulge in a juicy fantasy. And within moments, I was wide alert. And as long as I paid attention to the fantasy, my energy didn't waver. If I went back to my meditation object, back to dullness, back to the mindfulness jerk. And, you know, after I spent more than enough time on the fantasy, more than I want to say, um, I decided to come back to the breath and, and see what was happening. What's, what's really, what's this all about? And soon enough, sloth and torpor came to visit. I found that my body was calmer than usual, which is pleasant. I like that. My mind felt sluggish, and that was unpleasant. And I didn't like that, and I had aversion to it. And that's what I had been missing. That was what happened in my, in my mind. The dreaminess was pleasant. I want a pleasant, I didn't want unpleasant. So the path of least resistance was dreaminess, to drift towards dreaminess. This is one of those places where going against the stream was helpful. 
the fantasy was just so much more interesting. And uh, the interest increased my energy. And I saw that. And I decided to put my effort to see if I could get interested in really seeing clearly the unpleasantness and, and the aversion to the unpleasantness. And I allowed myself to really immerse myself in that unpleasantness until it got really interesting. And uh, as I got more and more interested, my energy increased. And then the mindfulness became a lot more easeful. Um, I grew up speaking Spanish. Um, when I was a child, you know, I had a challenging relationship with my mother. And one of my very favorite phrases to say to her was a very unfriendly, and this is in Spanish, it's déjame tranquila, which in Spanish means leave me alone. But literally, it means leave me tranquil. And um, when I learned to meditate as an adult, I found myself saying the same thing to my agitated mind. It started with the unfriendly, leave me alone already. You know, leave me alone. Déjame tranquila. But as my practice matured, it changed to let me be tranquil. And I say that because at the heart of tranquility is a non-conflict with our experience. As we can bring tranquility to our bodies... By relaxing the body, we bring tranquility to the agitated mind by not being in conflict with it. Regardless of the state of mind, of whatever agitation is present, an attitude of non-contentiousness with the agitation brings some tranquility. When we accept agitation or any other mind state we don't like, and we allow them without being against it. It liberates itself. We don't have to do anything. It can arise and pass in a field of acceptance. This non-conflict with our experience is not just a way to get calm, but it's the practice of letting go. Without letting go, there is no liberation. In my own practice, um, on retreat, agitation would often trigger comparing mind. I compare myself to the other yogis who were sitting so much more still than I was. I compare myself to how much stiller I was in another retreat or another sitting. And I'd add to the agitation with judging my experience as not being good enough. This practice of letting go of conflict with our experience is, in a way, the practice of liberation. Mm -hmm. 
Tenzin Palmo said, we don't bother to bring ourselves back to the present because we're too fascinated by the games the mind is playing. She said, if we think genuinely about renunciation, it's not giving up of external things. That's easy. Genuine renunciation is giving up or fond thoughts, all our delight in memories, hopes, daydreams, or mental chatter. To renounce that and stay naked in the present, that is renunciation. That kind of letting go is the nourishment of the soil of deep tranquility. What Ajahn Chah said, if you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace. I think I've... uh, read that and heard that many, many times. And uh, every time I hear it, it just kind of goes a little bit deeper. So I really appreciate that, uh, that connection there. Essential to non-conflict is an honest respect for our experience regardless of how it is, really recognizing that all the unskillful habits of the mind are just our minds trying to decrease our suffering the only way it knows how. They're coping strategies to help ease our dukkha, to feel better. But ultimately, those habits only perpetuate it. It's similar to the way... um, a heroin addict, you know, a dose of heroin might give ease to the drug addict. They're doing it to feel better. It still perpetuates the addiction, though. Our mental striving, all our pushing and pulling, trying to get what we want, it just perpetuates our dukkha. But when we respect or these attempts we have towards self-soothing, to make ourselves better, feel better. We can see them clearly. There's nothing to push away. Just seeing things as they are with as much peacefulness as we have available. As we practice, we increase our ability to be at ease with being uneasy, to be comfortable, being uncomfortable, physically, emotionally, and mentally. A relationship to what is happening is more important than what is happening 
to be at ease with what's happening is to have a relationship of ease, of peace. If anxiety is present, we can easily add to it by being anxious about being anxious. Or we can respect it, fold it into a field of acceptance. We can have a relationship of peace and calm about it. Ah, this is what anxiety is like. Or other emotions like fear, we can be afraid of being afraid. Or we can allow ourselves to be afraid and let it move through us. I think Gil mentioned earlier, don't be bothered by your thoughts. When we're bothered by them, we get further agitated. Mindfulness can be seen as a continuous saying yes to a moment-to-moment experience. As we practice, I think you've all seen, we uncover and touch places in us that are difficult and challenging. These aren't obstacles to move out of the way, but they're actually part of the path itself. Being non-judgmental brings calm. Being non-judgmental about being judgmental brings calm. The difficulties, the challenges are part of the path. Each challenge we have is not a failure. It's one of the heavenly messengers. Tranquility establishes the conditions for the final stages on the path to liberation. This profound stillness we can develop paves the way for the deeper states of concentration to follow, for samadhi to follow. It prepares the mind for liberation by developing the capacity to let go deeply releasing tension, agitation, and releasing our attachment to our thinking. This deep tranquility is the ground for a deeper happiness to arise and for creating the conditions for insight to arise. I'd like to end with another uh, quote from Ajahn Chah from the Still Forest Pool. Again, you've probably, most of you have heard this. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear, forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. 
you will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. Let's sit for a few minutes. <clears throat> 